Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. We have two guests with us today, Forrester analyst Brendan Miller and Josh Salonis discuss the growing concern of security in retail, both that which is real and that which is perceived by the consumer. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. So let's start with sort of what's paradoxical about this trend, which is we're sitting in a retail space that is increasingly digital, increasingly omni-channel, seeking hyper-personalization, and against the backdrop of GDPR, that sort of having them think of data differently. Where do we stand in terms of the sort of the paradoxical relationship of these patterns? I think it really comes down to, to trust, and we, we've looked at this uh, quite extensively. And uh, when we look at things like mobile payments adoption, digital wallet experiences, things like that, the number one issue consumers say why they haven't adopted those types of mobile experiences has been uh, trust and, and security concerns. And so merchants, retailers, those developing these types of mobile experiences, even mobile banking for that matter, um, need to continuously message to their consumers that security is top of mind, that implement security tactics, and, and that they can be trusted. It does bring up a challenge because if I'm a retailer and I sort of message that, I, I'm also messaging to hackers that might find that to be an enticing challenge. So how does a retailer message sort of their investment in or their ability to protect data, protect privacy, avoid breaches, that type of thing? while not just putting a, a bullseye on their back? My feeling on it is that, and you kind of nailed it right there, it, it's about the investment. You need to understand that a lot of the consumers aren't going to have the technical prowess or, or insight to understand what particular technologies you're deploying to protect them. And you know, as consumers, it's not really their job to go through and analyze what architectural decisions you've made about how to do this. So I really feel that talking about the investment that you're doing and, and, and embracing the importance of protecting their data to you is really the cornerstone of how to go about messaging this. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. I mean, I think in your work, you said that 60% of consumers agreed that current security to protect credit card and personal information at retailers' websites isn't strong enough. And yet, it does beg the question, how would they know? And so it does seem like the perception may be outpacing the reality, and retailers have a bit of a hill to climb on this one. Well, that's that's really where a lot of the trust is built from, and you know, messaging about security and about how important your client's security is to you is being a real differentiator. Because if you consider... Every time you hear about the latest credit card breach, a little piece of you thinks, I'm really glad that I don't shop there. And you feel better and you feel safer. But the overall landscape has developed in such a manner that people don't feel safe. They feel relief when they're not stuck in this particular uh, breach. And the way that you elevate your messaging and, and promote that you're taking these steps and you're investing in the future and investing back into your customers is really going to start to elevate how you're perceived in the market against that backdrop. In one way, companies are getting better at incident response, which means that there's a starting gun and a finish line. But your argument is that 
that same acumen, that same attentiveness now has to get baked into the day-to-day. Yeah, and I think, I think trust is, is earned, and it, it can be fluid as well. Uh, if you think back to the Home Depot uh, breach a few years ago, and uh, sales dipped a little bit right after that, but uh, consumers came back. And we, we found in, in our research that companies that had a, a kind of a customer-led um, approach that were transparent, that understood that their breach was also their customer's breach, and they quickly uh, implemented uh, messaging and tactics that helped the consumer in the, that situation uh, fared better. And uh, so the breach response is really important and, and goes a long ways in, in maintaining that trust. It's interesting if you look at, at things like the Equifax breach, uh, you know, that, that breach messaging is how executives lose their jobs. It's how you respond to the breach. In, in, in bad situations, if you have a bad breach response, that's when the sea levels start to fall. What Brendan said, at some level, screams of common sense, which is a breach is both a violation of the company as well as the consumers which the data was stolen or consumers that believe their data is at risk. It's an emotional you know, issue at that point in time. And yet the response is more naturally, whether it's Equifax or Chipotle or others, is to say, we'll handle it from a very protective risk-based standpoint and think of it in terms of protecting our company. So what's missing in terms of sort of connecting what you said, Brendan, which is a common sense view to what you said, Josh, which is sort of, in some cases, the natural reaction? What is happening there? I would argue to an extent that organizations that view their customers as a commodity as opposed to a a partner, that it's that understanding of who you're working with and where you're getting your business from and the importance of them as people as opposed to a commodity is really where the differentiation and messaging and how you start to understand that if these people care versus these people are just out to profit off of me. What about the level of maturity in retail specifically, though? Do you think that they are sort of ahead of the curve or behind the curve in terms of thinking of their customers as partners, to your point, Josh? I I feel like, you know, they are so core to the equation that that, you know, to Brendan and Victor's point, would be sort of a common sense statement. I think for retailers, um, most of them have a good sense of outside-in versus inside-out uh, thinking um, around their customer because their, their business is built on an end consumer. And one example that, that comes to mind that we've highlighted in the past is when uh, one of T-Mobile's vendors was breached. They didn't blame the vendor. They uh, didn't say, well, it's up to the vendor to, to fix this. They took direct responsibility for um, a company that, that was in their ecosystem, and in the end, it was their customer. And so those are the types of, uh, of approaches that's, that's going to continue to build consumer trust because it's not a matter of if you're breached, it's just a matter of when. And so having the, the, the right response and focusing in on what your customer needs just as much as the vulnerability is just as important. I want to throw something out there, too, because Brendan just mentioned something that it's not if but when uh, you'll experience a breach. And and I really want to highlight the data point behind that, that according to the 2017 Forrester Global Security Survey, uh, we found that 58% of enterprises experienced at least one breach in the last year. So when people say it's not if but when, we're quick approaching 60% of organizations that are experiencing these issues. So... That is absolutely a, a, a 
should be making. Yeah, and I think it's part of it is having a plan, but then also practicing that plan or wargaming would be, I think, a critical component here. Is that something that you're seeing, you know, in this space that's baked in or, or table stakes from a security perspective? I, I think it's an industry best practice to be having uh, some manner of red teaming or war gaming going on so that you can have additional visibility into uh your environment. One of the one of the challenges that occurs whenever you've uh, developed a security strategy and deployed it throughout your organization is you run into a, a certain level of confirmation bias that because my tools aren't telling me that something bad's happening or that because the tools are telling me that I'm doing a good job, I'm going to believe them. And bringing in your outs- an outsider to come in and be it through threat hunting or through uh, red team engagements, uh, it, it allows you to kind of break that confirmation bias and really understand what your security posture is. So, Brenda, in your earlier answer, you, you mentioned payment security as sort of the starting point of retail security. Yet, it's sort of changing because you're seeing retailers seek to or are capturing different kinds of data to facilitate personalization. So, in other words, they're adding data that is that is both good for them and yet represents a risk for them. How are they handling some of the the data as it comes in? Is it handled the same way, differently? Does it change the, the, the science or the change the methods here? Yeah, retailers have always collected a lot of data on the consumer. I think what's changing is uh, it used to be stored in different data silos. And retailers are realizing to as part of their digital transformation, they have to bring that, that data together and um, leverage it uh, for uh, better, more relevant experiences for the consumer, whether that's an offer or to just have more relevant messaging to individual consumers. And so that data now is starting to live in one place. So as, as, a, as a hacker who may be going after data previously, it would be in a bunch of different silos and they'd have to hack all these different silos. But now there, there, there's potentially this, this risk of having a, a Trevor trove of, of, of data sitting in, in one, one location um, that can be used um, against uh, the company or even against a, a consumer. And, and on that vein, the way I look at that is, is marketing does not think like an InfoSec person. And I think you made mention of this in our prior conversation before this podcast. And yet they kind of have to because as marketing becomes more data-centric – in its competency, it is invariably becoming more security-centric in its obligation. How much is that kind of like seeping into the reality of the marketing teams, marketing operations, how they think and how they work? Yeah, I think a lot of companies that we talk with are talking about doing security training, infosec training, things like that. I think sometimes it can fall on deaf ears. I'm I'm guilty of this earlier on in my career. I was responsible for marketing initiatives and product initiatives, and I would often act uh, in, in a manner, a modus operandi of, you know, what InfoSec doesn't know won't hurt them. And um, that that's just no, you can't operate like that anymore, especially in this environment. And so one of the reasons why Josh and I have been working together on this research, uh, myself working from a digital business perspective, Josh working from a, a security and risk perspective, is that we're really encouraging um, digital business and IT executives, that they really need to lock arms 
uh, and, and when developing these initiatives and work together and not just leave InfoSec to, to the last piece of the puzzle when you're about to deliver um, some new technology or, or launch a new product. And that really goes both ways. The you know, security professionals are, are guilt, just as guilty of ignoring the, the needs of the other groups as well. So you know, working together and understanding each other's problems and being in lockstep to, to go help the business, which is why we're all here in the end, is uh, an important initiative. Yeah, it strikes me. One of the things that comes in this podcast is that we ran organizations that were centered on functions, meaning, you know, marketing people had marketing skills and did marketing things and security people the same. Whether you're talking about continuous delivery, you're talking about retail and security, we're increasingly talking about sort of a competency-based model where you have to bring different competencies together to get any operation accomplished because security necessarily has trust, thusly the brand associated with it. And marketing necessarily governs data, which has security associated with it. So it does feel like we're moving away from silos and functions and much more towards sort of integrated competencies, if you will. Yeah, it, it really does. And it's that it's that agile uh, methodology, really. And it's, it's bringing in different folks that with, with, with experience in, into uh, one team and working in a iterative process, I think. And, and it's much different than um, the, the waterfall methodology that was popular before, but now uh, companies need to think more in this agile project, very um, nimble framework and bringing in people that with different expertise um, and working together. So the other point I, I raised was this issue of the physical and digital, which brings up sort of a point you made in the research about secret shoppers, which is the idea that retailers will put certain people into the store to understand the true vulnerabilities as they enter the physical space, whether that's at point of sale, whether that's in the return, whatever it might be. Could you talk a little bit about how that works, how often you see that being played out? Yeah, we really don't, actually. Uh, we see retailers using secret shoppers um, to, for customer experience activity, but not necessarily to train employees uh, around fraud prevention. And so one of the things that Josh and I have identified is that retailers that are Omnichannels are their number one uh, digital priority for, for most retailers. And so when you start to operate in an omnichannel environment, your threat service increases, especially around social engineering. And one of the recommendations that we've made is that uh, you, you may have built a ton of technology um, on, on the e-commerce side for fraud filters and using machine learning and all these types of new technologies to, to prevent fraud. Um, but when you get into a store environment, it's really important that you have you train your employees, and they're they're essentially your last line of defense. And one of the things that we 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 recommended is that um, you do put in secret shoppers and try to do test them against uh, social engineering. Uh, look that you know in instances where they they you could try to deceive them and use that as a, a tactic um, as part of your your overall training and fraud prevention, loss prevention. Yeah, it seems like that's a big deal. I mean, just to jump in here, just to give a number to this, $9.12 billion of, of return fraud occurred in 2015, you know, siphoned off from the revenue stream. So this is not a, this is good to do. This is a real top-line question here. Yeah, that's right. A, a lot of retailers are worried about the experience around not accepting a return or those types of things. But there, there's a lot of things um, they, that they can do, number one being training, but also um, we found uh, – 
a lot of retailers say, yes, we're omni-channel, but maybe they haven't gone to the work of connecting their in-store point of sale to their e-commerce system or their order management system. So they can actually go back. They cannot actually go back and find that that e-commerce transaction there on the spot in-store if uh, if I bought something online or trying to return it in-store. So there, there's a technology component there, but there are also things uh, that you can train your employees to do to, to look for. You started this discussion with the concept of trust, meaning consumers will make decisions about who they shop with, who they purchase from, in, in part based on trust, which is a mix of experience and perception, I imagine. And I, I say that because one of the concepts of the digital economy was sort of the democratization of retail, which is you can stand up a digital site and succeed as you will. But trust has sort of the converse effect on that, which is I may trust a small circle of retailers and not trust others. So therefore, you have this consolidation of marketplace because of trust as a dynamic. Are we seeing this play out? You're definitely seeing it play out. I think if just looking at the data around uh, consumers uh, choosing to to purchase on on marketplaces, uh, especially in in other countries like China, so um, where marketplaces type experiences are driving most of the e-commerce sales. Um, to a certain degree, that's happening in the U.S. with, with Amazon, but uh, um, le- a little bit less so. Um, but but uh, in Latin America, for, for sure, um, a lot of the e-commerce is driven by name brands, marketplaces that, that people begin to trust. And I, I, think, I think to a large extent, the, the way that uh, you can kind of enter into these markets is by... Uh, provide it's through the payment systems and being able to uh, provide a method of uh, consumer protection where you're going to have an intermediary such that uh, if I go and use you know, one vendor for a payment method uh, that I know that I have a relationship with the company that's responsible for the payment system uh, as opposed to providing direct credentials that uh, this new marketplace might be trying to set up or, uh, you know, trusting them to save my information and secure it properly. So it, it protects me as the consumer uh, from a, a fraud perspective. And it also gives me confidence that if I'm not getting what I think that I should be getting from the transaction, uh, that I, I have a, a manner of recourse. So it- in today's market, we're working with a relatively understood set of technologies. As we look to the next two years, we're going to see AI, Internet of Things, augmented reality, ultimately virtual reality come in into the retail space, which for many of those technologies will reflect a new capturing of new information and the use of that information. Are retailers baking security into the thought process of how to introduce those technologies? Because that feels like we have a, a certain threat spectrum on a known set of technologies. Now we have a new set coming in that changes the dynamic mightily. Yeah, I think one of the experiences I recently highlighted uh, coming out of the National Retail Federation show was was facial recognition, and um, this is facial recognition is is being used already, uh, not as much in, in retail yet. But one of the experiences that I highlighted was this idea that I could leave my wallet and leave my phone in the car and walk into my favorite outdoor store. And because they have facial recognition installed, uh, a sales associate could recognize me and say, hi, Brendan, 
how are you doing today? Uh, you have 10% off uh, anything in the store. And by the way, you have uh, $100 in, in rewards points that you can use as well sitting in your account. And they just know all that information because I, I walked in the store and, and they may actually have my account information. So they know that I uh, purchased a, a, a certain uh, camping stove and, I need a, and I'm looking for the, uh, the fuel that, for that specific stove and they would know which one to, to, to select for me because they have all that information right at their fingertips. Um, and and then it, when you go to the the point of sale, uh, beca because uh, the, I don't have to pull out a credit card because my, I have payment credentials on file, I can use my face as an authorization methodology. Um, so that, that creates a really interesting frictionless um, and customer experience, a customer experience of the future. But um, I know Josh has probably got his hands over his ears right now as, I, as I'm talking about this experience. But I'm a, uh, I'm cringing a little bit actually because yeah, that, that's I'm kind of happy for him. He's got 10 percent <laughs> off. <laughs> but you talk about the creep factor. I mean, that's you know yeah. that's part of the equation well, too, right? For sure. And so this is something that if you, you wanted to implement as a retailer, you'd you definitely want consumers to opt into this type of experience. Um, so you have to give them those types of options. But um, there is this underlying security um, concern because now, for instance, you give that associate my account details and IDing my, my face and having a, a, my image um, stored on some computer. So those, those all raise uh, security concerns. So we're in an environment where, you know, security is part of the day-to-day. -day. As you said, the ransomware attacks are becoming an, an all-the-time incident. Every firm is going to be challenged with a breach and here comes retail with the use of data as being the cornerstone of their business. And that's just going to be a bigger part of them competing going forward with more advanced technologies capturing different kinds of data. So what does it mean to retailers out there or those in those ecosystems thinking about how to harness the opportunity while defending against the risk? Well, I think part of it is having the digital business executive locking arms with, with the security and risk professionals. Um, working together, working in that agile uh, framework um, is, is going to be one of the key things uh, for, for retailers to be thinking about uh, going forward. You know, in, in the end, it's about protecting your consumers because it's the right thing to do and because it's going to impact your perception in the market uh, if, if you don't. You need to embrace your, your customers and let them know that they are who's important to you. Great both. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.